turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. It's on page 372 in the Bible that I have up in the front. 1 Kings chapter 17. I've been trying to make the case this summer that uh, the author of the book of Kings is trying to force God's people to make a choice. Basically, will you serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who rescued you from slavery, who fed you in the wilderness, who delivered you to the promised land? Will you serve the God of Israel, or will you serve Baal? Baal's kind of uh, uh, the, the most popular God among all of Israel's neighbors. Will you serve Yahweh or Baal? And Elijah is trying to force God's people to make a choice. And I think it's important to remember that even the little story I'm about to read, it's got a widow and a little jug, and it's, maybe it seems like kind of a cute story, but it's actually told under the shadow of this enormous conflict between, Yale, between Yahweh and Baal. Uh, this is not just another cute story of God providing for his people. This is a battleground scene. Uh, Yahweh or Baal, this is a choice. So uh, last time we met uh, King Ahab uh, of Israel, whom Elijah had confronted for worshiping Baal. He was encouraging people to worship Baal. Elijah confronts him, and then God sends Elijah to the Kareth Ravine where God provides for him. And then we get verse 7. Sometime later, the brook, this is the place where God had sent Elijah, dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Elijah had said there'd be a big drought, so there had been no rain. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. And she replied to the second request, As surely as the Lord your God lives... I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me. And from what you have, and, and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. So make a small cake of bread for me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry, until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away, and she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I said this book is about making a choice. And, and I've been trying to sort of think this week, like where do we, you and I, have a choice like this one in our society? Like who or what represents sort of the ideology of Baal? in our world today. And I told you last time that both Baal and Yahweh were like blessing gods. They promised to bless people. But I said that one thing that made Baal different was that he wanted to bless you, but he didn't expect anything from you. 
Yahweh, however, did expect things from his people. For instance, Yahweh expected his people to care for the poor and to be faithful to their spouses. With Yahweh, there were limits, there were responsibilities, but Baal, Baal didn't care about any of that. Like with Baal, you could live how you wanted to live. You could sleep with who you wanted to sleep. You could ignore the poor. Baal was the god of fertility. I think you'd say today, he was the god of like economic growth. He was the god who didn't care how you got there. He didn't care how you lived. He just wanted you to have more. More crops and more wealth and more kids. More, more growth, growth. All Baal wanted you to do was enjoy life. And I wondered, where do we see that philosophy today? Do we have any idols like that in, in our world? Promising wealth with no responsibility. I, I found a picture. I wonder if Christy could put it up. Um, I, I don't, it's sometimes it's hard to see. Anyone recognize what that is? It's a bull. So... Some of you know that um, Baal was always depicted as a bull. This is a, this is a statue of a bull. Anybody know where it is? Wall Street, right? Um, has, has anyone ever sat down with a financial planner? I, I kind of recommend it, despite what I'm about to say. I kind of do recommend it. But if you ever do, at some point, they will show you a graph that looks like this. Can you see that? All right, so what this graph shows is a squiggly line that has like little ups and downs, but that overall it goes in what direction? Up and to the right. And what a financial planner will tell you is that um, if they sit down with you, they'll show you this chart, and they will tell you about the magic number seven, okay? So uh, the average annual growth of the stock market over about the last 100 years is 7%. Some years it grows by 12, right? Some years it shrinks by 9. On average, annual growth is 7, all right? That's why this chart keeps going up and to the right. And what a financial planner will tell you is that you can put your faith in the number 7. And they'll tell you that if you take that magic number 7 and you combine it with the power of compound interest, you too can get your piece of the American dream. You too can enjoy wealth and security in your retirement. All you have to do, they'll tell you, is you have to prioritize your financial future. Prioritize your financial future. So Dave Ramsey, Christian money advice guy on the radio, he lays out his seven baby steps for financial freedom. So it's like an emergency fund is one step, and paying down debt is another step. Save for retirement, save for college, pay off the house. He's got seven steps to prioritize your financial future. And if you follow his seven steps, he says, eventually, you will be able to live like, anybody know? Live like no one else. Follow these steps, live like no one else. And actually, I I appreciate Dave Ramsey. I learned a lot from him. Uh, I, I save for retirement myself. I have an emergency fund. I have learned that compound interest is not magic. It's just math. Um... These are fine principles to live by, except. You know what step Dave Ramsey recommends giving money away? He's, he's, a, he's a Christian, right? So he, he probably knows about like Deuteronomy 26, where the Bible explains this concept of first fruits. You've heard of this? Right? The idea was God's people, this is an agricultural society, uh, God's people were supposed to take the very first round of things that they harvested from the field, 
before you knew how the rest of the year's harvest was going to go or what it would look like. Take that first round, and you were supposed to take that first round and give it away. Specifically, the Bible says to give it to the temple, to orphans, to widows, and to immigrants. Right? So in God's economy, in what baby step do we give money away? Step one, right? But what step is give money away with Dave Ramsey? There's seven steps. It's the seventh. Last step. It's the step most people won't get to for years, or, or even decades, really. And even there, step seven is build wealth and give. So giving money away is actually the second half of the last step. You might call it the last fruits plan. Okay. Now, I'm sure if Dave Ramsey were here, he'd, he'd offer some nuance to this discussion. I, I hope that he would. But looking on his website, I think this approach, this is a really common one in our world today. It's common in our church. It's common outside the church. There's a kind of conventional American middle-class wisdom. And it's basically this. If you spend 40 years, you've got to spend 40 years putting your own financial interests first. You've got to take 40 years making sure you don't take like, uh, an idealistic but low-paying job. Right? You don't risk like, volunteering too many days a week. You don't risk staying home to help kids or parents or friends. You don't risk being too generous with people in need or too generous with kingdom causes. If you spend 40 years putting your own financial interests first, you can spend 20 or 30 years of a comfortable, secure retirement. Right? The line will just keep going up and to the right. And the logic of the line is that you don't want to miss out. You can't let that line, you cannot let that compound interest keep going up and to the right without you. Right? If you wait till your 60s to save, you're too late. You must stay devoted to that line your whole life if you want to reach that goal. You want to know something? The math on this works out. The math is right. I, it's conventional wisdom for a reason. You want to know something else? This approach sounds an awful lot to me like the 21st century version of the philosophy of Baal. I can worry about taking care of the poor later. right? I've got to handle steps one through six before I can get to seven. Right? I've got to take care of me. I think maybe you can see now how Baal came to be a pretty attractive option. Right? A religion that baptized the philosophy of living for your own pleasure. It's a great invention. Right? A God who said, you should just do what makes you happy. Just trust that the line will go up and to the right. And so the question for God and His prophet is this. How do you get through to a culture that believes such wonderful sounding lies? How do you get through to a culture that has been so thoroughly indoctrinated in self-interest? A culture who doesn't have to worry about caring for the poor because there's an invisible hand to take care of that. Right? When people live in a culture so convinced in the rightness of accumulating wealth for themselves, putting their own interests first, how do you remind people there's another way to live? How do you remind people they have a choice? Well, the first thing you can do is you can send a recession, which is what God does in verse 1. A drought, three years long. 
You want to put your trust in the line moving up and to the right? God says, I'm going to send that line falling off a cliff. No rain, no harvest. Right? God is putting the lie to Baal. He is making sure that everybody knows Baal in whom they have put their hope is a phony. He is hype. He cannot provide for you. Right? Whenever people are buying a lie like this, we need prophets to speak the truth. To, to point to the better way. That's the first thing. You need to speak the truth. But last time, we said that after speaking the truth, right? so Elijah speaks the truth that Yahweh alone provides, God sends Elijah to embody the truth. Remember that a couple weeks ago? You speak the truth, but you also embody the truth. It's never enough to just speak it. God wants us to live it. And so Elijah didn't just say, stop trusting Baal. And it wasn't just words. Instead, God sends Elijah to this Kareth ravine. It's verse 3. It's basically the last place you'd find food in a drought. And God said, Elijah, I'm going to provide for you there. And he does. God asks Elijah to trust him completely, recklessly even. Right? Where do you go in a drought? You do not go to one of these places, right? God puts him in that ravine. He puts him in a position where only God can keep him alive. And what does God do? He sends birds to feed him. God finds a way. And at first glance, it appears that's what's happening again in our story today. So God sends Elijah to get food from a widow. A widow that we learn is on the brink of death from starvation. In verse 12, she explains she's basically got enough food for her and her son to eat a couple of crackers. Like that's probably the best translation. Uh, a couple of crackers to go to sleep and to die. Right? And it looks like another ravine situation. Right? God is asking Elijah to put himself in a situation where he ha- absolutely has to depend on God. Right? There must be a miracle for him to survive. But then something else happens. So the woman has just explained that she's about to die of starvation. And Elijah says to her, this is verse 13. He says, hey, by the way, before you make yourself and your son your last meal of crackers, can you make me a small cake first? A piece of flatbread, basically. Quick clarification. Does she have enough food to make him a small cake? She, no, right, she's been really clear about this. She just said she has enough food for her and her son to eat a couple crackers and to die. And Elijah says, hey, could you feed me first? What is he asking? Well, he's asking for her first fruits, isn't he? He's asking the same thing God asked his people Every time they brought in their first fruits. Every time they gave their first harvest to the poor without knowing what the second or third or fourth harvest would look like. In other words, Elijah is asking this woman to make a choice, just as he has. He is daring this woman to choose to trust Yahweh, to put her life in his hands, to trust that even if she gives her first fruits away, Yahweh will find a way to provide. And I want you to notice, this is not really a family-friendly story. I mean, so I'm writing this sermon. This is like literally two weeks after Daniel's born. Um, I would do anything for my kids, right? 
But notice, Elijah asks this woman to risk not just her own life to trust God. He's asking this woman to involve her children. right? To risk their security, to risk their lives. right? It's the boys' food, too. See, I think this is the scary thing that confronted me in this passage this week. This prophetic call. It doesn't just come to like idealistic, unattached college students. It's for all of us. Choosing to follow the living God, choosing to trust Him, it's risky. Like it's even reckless, at least from your financial planner's perspective. But this is part of how we make our choice, right? It's not just with what our it's not just with our words, it's with our actions. Will we put our money where our mouth is? Will we give our first and not our leftovers? Elijah dares this woman to trust Yahweh, to let her life give witness to the living God and not to Baal. You know, we believe it's, this is a crazy thing that he's asking her to do. And I think the question for us this morning is, like, all right, so this woman makes her choice. What are we going to choose? Here we are, Creston Church. What are we going to choose, right? We believe, don't we, that Yahweh is our real hope. And we believe that, we believe that 7% growth and compound interest, that those things may lead to bigger bank accounts, but they don't necessarily lead to better disciples. We believe it. Are we also prepared to live it? To embody that truth? Right? We believe that our Savior's greatest triumph came through His chosen poverty, His suffering, and His death on a cross. What does it mean for you and me to follow a God like that in the midst of a culture that is obsessed with finding your own happiness? I mean, honestly, like following Baal in our culture today will raise not one eyebrow among anyone around you. It's following Yahweh that's going to make people pause and ask some questions. What risk might God be asking us to take? Well, a couple weeks ago, I read this book by a Catholic priest, and I haven't been able to get this story out of my head. So he, he tells this story about this retired couple. Comfortably retired. I'm sure they had followed Dave Ramsey all the way. Uh, they, were living, they were living the dream, the American dream. The grandkids and golf trips and a little volunteering on the side. But this couple was talking to their priest about how they had they'd come to realize like how empty, basically, this dream was. Like all this work and planning and saving, and they realized like it was just all about them. It was all about their happiness. And they realized like the dream that they'd built their life upon, it was empty. It was superficial. And they also realized to their horror that their kids and their grandkids were living according to the same dream. Their kids and grandkids had picked up very well the message, loud and clear, from their parents, from their grandparents. They were building their lives to maximize their own happiness, their own security. So what did these grandparents do? (laughs) They sold their house. They gave their carefully saved money to these food banks all across the region. And they bought one-way tickets to Pakistan and settled in as missionaries there until they died. (laughs) I mean, you want to talk about a leap of faith. You want to talk about a prophetic message. You want to talk about witnessing to an alternative reality. 
right? This couple decided it wasn't enough to spend their retirement telling their grandkids that there are more important things than money and pleasure, telling their grandkids that living for Jesus is worth everything. This couple decided it wasn't enough to tell their grandkids. They needed to show their grandkids. So what might we do to show our grandkids or our friends or our neighbors? I mean, maybe it's not Pakistan, but I will say maybe for you it is quitting your job or selling a car or downsizing, downsizing your house. Maybe it is committing to a relationship with a difficult neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. I want to be clear, like there is nothing in the Bible that would suggest that any of those things should be unusual in a church of our size. Right? We serve Yahweh, not Baal. We serve the God who invites first fruits, not last fruits. We serve the God who can deliver food through birds, who can make a pantry never run out, who can raise the dead to life. So what will it be for us? What choice will we make? And how will our lives reflect that choice? Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we don't want to give our lives to a false hope. Uh, we don't want to be disciples of Baal. Um, But trusting you sometimes it requires of us more than we think we've got. Um, a life of obedience and following you, life of following the way of Jesus, honestly, it's just really kind of crazy looking in this world. Lord, I pray that we would not be daunted by that call to follow you. That we would not find yet another convenient excuse but that you would lead us to, yes. Yes, I will go. Yes, I will follow. Yes, I will trust you. Lord, I pray that you would quiet those voices of, um, that are preaching to us like this American dream. That we can have it all. That it can be all about us. Everything's going to be fine. And Lord, that you would orient us to hear your voice. Inviting us not to upward mobility, but downward mobility. To trusting you especially in the hardest things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.